You're listening to Titans of Techcom, brought to you by Hereto, where you'll hear real stories from real people who have tried, failed, learned, and succeeded. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Titans of Techcom. I'm your host, Vivek Nanda. I'm VP of Marketing at Hereto. Hereto is content operations platform for knowledge management. And today I have a very special guest from all the way, Ireland, uh, Malachi Lavelle. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Vivek. Uh, just uh, very happy to be here. It's my pleasure. And like I said, uh, you know, I've been speaking to a lot of guests and we've done now six episodes before this, all of them from U.S. So I'm finally happy to have somebody who's not from U.S. So very glad to have you. All right. So first and foremost, I always start with this question because uh, people have very interesting stories how they end up in this field. So Mm -hmm. how you ended up in this field and tell us a little bit where you are at this moment in your career. Sure. Um, So I I guess like many people in tech comms, I have a colorful story uh, to get to this point. I I majored in archaeology and Latin way back in 1988. uh, And I pursued some postgrad studies in archaeology and some and worked in the field for a little while but my heart wasn't really in it and you know like many young people discovered maybe I'm on the wrong path so I I, I dropped my postgrad studies did a conversion course over to uh, computer software and during the conversion course I mean I was fully on track to go into programming uh, that was what I was very good at during the current coursework one of the companies that was interviewing before our finals said, you know, put up a notice on notice board. I already had an interview with them and said, hey, we're also looking for tech writers. So if you're interested, just say so in the in the interview. And I would have taken any job at that time. So I, I just said, hey, I'm interested in this, too. So they offered me a job as a tech writer and with, with the option to be a programmer if I didn't like it. And for for one reason or another, I foolishly took the tech writer path and that that was a sub company of Capgemini so I worked as a tech writer and tech trainer there for for I think about three years and then I switched out to um, desktop local area network support so I could exercise some kind of technical muscles I moved to Nortel because of the network knowledge that I had I moved into the QA department in Nortel at the time 1998 Uh, I worked on the very first voice over IP Harder packs, you know, before we had software DSPs and then ended up moving through into enterprise software into contact center. And when Nortel went into bankruptcy protection, they they were struggling for their tech writing service because it had all been contracted, all been outsourced. So people knew I had that background. They asked me to come in and manage a team. And that's what I was doing when we transitioned over to Avaya. And I've worked in tech writing since. Started off in Avaya as a manager, then because of reshuffles, I end up as a lead writer. And a couple of years back, a few people left in retirement. And then the, the global head gave me a call on Friday and said, Hey, I'm leaving. How would you like, how would you feel about taking over? And I thought about it for a while and said, Hey, you're not, you're not going to get that opportunity every day. So I said yes. <laughs> that was five years ago. Well, close to five years ago, and that's what I've been doing since. So I, I had the documentation department here. We have 75 people spread across the globe. 
uh, about two thirds in India in three locations. So we have Pune, Bangalore, Hyderabad. We've got people in Russia. We've had people in Israel, but not anymore. And then the rest are scattered between the UK, Ireland, Canada, US. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. I wonder any regrets of not going the programming path courses? <laughs> How do you feel about that? Well, it's it's an interesting one, and um, I think it's probably it's probably relevant to some of the conversations you have. Uh, if I reflect back and say, well, suppose all those years ago, it's nearly thirty years, I I chose to go into software engineering what would my career be like now? And sometimes you do have to wonder if selecting tech comms is a self-limiting uh, issue, but you never know. You know, I mean, it, it isn't tested. Uh, I, I did very well in my graduate conversion course, but would, would that have converted into success in, you know, full-time programming? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm never going to know at this stage. I th- I've enjoyed my career for the most part. It's possible I could have done better but maybe not enjoy the work. And that's always, that's always a big issue. You know, if you're not enjoying your work, if your heart isn't in it, is, is it good that you're a senior director making loads of money, you know, but you're unhappy, you know, probably not. So, yeah. so, you know, the, the career has been kind to me. It's, it's, I, I think I've done reasonably well out of it. And the point is moot. I can't wind it back the clock there now. So it yeah. Matter. <laughs> yeah. It's funny you say that. So first of all, couple of overlaps with what you said was I I, I was uh, I worked for Verizon for the first five years of my career and so pretty much all those words when you were saying it my telecom mind was like when you were making switch from I was involved in launch of fires before that so it was like a whole bunch of I actually worked on the uh, video the activation piece the hardware that's used by the field engineers so it was uh, it reminded me of my days but also one thing you said it's like, I personally made the switch from starting at programming to moving into QA, which is already looked upon as like, hmm, why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. But I was doing that switch. I think my core motivation was like, A, I know programming, so I'm actually going with more skill set in the QA field. It gives me already a competitive advantage, like I'll do better. So I feel like uh, that is something no one should forget. Like, I'm pretty sure that might have been helpful. You probably don't know how you would have done, but I'm pretty sure that that was like an additional thing that others don't have. So I look at it as a great way to like, you know, move into your career. Now, speaking of uh, engineering, so obviously we connected over LinkedIn over something, a post, and you posted something really interesting about that in that whole discussion. Why engineering-led companies have tendencies to ignore tech com teams? Like, what is your suggestion to best navigate such a situation in an organization? And maybe when share your experience, what you have seen worked or did not work. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the whys could be as, as many different ones as there are companies. I think there's a tendency in, in all organizations for there to be sort of a, a dominant team or a dominant community. And obviously in software engineering, the majority of people are coders. They, they come from engineering and there's a lot of focus on that area. Therefore, it tends to generate the leadership. You know, if, if you're if you got an organization, 80% of the people are in coding and 20% are in other stuff, well then most likely 80% of your leadership is eventually gonna come from coding and maybe 20% from other stuff, right? 
and you know and that's fine there's really there's there's nothing wrong with that and i think it's fairly natural but if your background is all coding then coding's the way you're going to think and you know you appreciate yourself i mean i think most people have done some coding and at least in university and some people didn't like it that's why they became tech writers but coding tends to be competitive people are very they tend to be not all of them are of course very proud of their work you know they they think it is the best thing and you know when you're when you got people building apps and stuff that well that is primarily what in the end the customer accesses but the the difficulty is if that gets out of balance to a large point then you stop considering some of the other things because that's not in your background and it's like a lot of biases it's invisible you don't really notice it there's a really good interview it's an old interview with steve jobs where he describes companies it, it's the opposite of this situation you know companies uh, like xerox um where the sales and marketing were in in dominance uh, technology monopolies really he was referring to and i think he also brought up the idea of pepsi and you know where there's not much product work you know you're mostly selling you're mostly selling stuff then innovation tends to die because people aren't focusing product the opposite going on in software technology companies where really people focus on product but they focus more on the coding side of it and i think there are other aspects to it like information developers as i'm going to call them because we have so many names for our stuff we're kind of considered quite different from the others and a lot of people have linguistic backgrounds and they have the psychology background so that they're not really in the engineering kind of headspace so they, they get placed off into their own departments i think you even commented on people being placed all over the place like i work into operations i've seen people who work into marketing sometimes you see people connected with sales and it's just one of these teams that oh, where do we park this well you should really park it with engineering and that's the best place because your doc and your content more specifically tooltips error messages the words that are on the ux and the ui is all, all content that really should be tightly coupled to to engineering other parts of content might be long in marketing etc so once you get siloed out and separated and it, it does tend to lead to not in all cases because i've worked with some excellent uh, r d teams who really included me but it tends to lead to a, a bit of a them and us mm -hmm. and then this perception the documentation is like that kind of add-on at the end of the process which also would have been a real experience and a perception qa that was like we do all the developing then we shove it to you guys and then you try and block us from shipping it, you know. So, yeah, that's kind. That's like an old one in QA, um, and, and those have built up over the years. And the problem really is, if you're going towards agile and CI/CD, you really can't sustain that. But now there's there's like a practice, there's like a habit, and there might even be you know, kind of stories or accepted truths around the way the teams work or teams work together or don't work together. I, I was really interested in the comment that Tara English Sweeney made in the previous in one of the previous podcasts about, you know, the perception that anybody can do that job because everybody writes a word and stuff all the time. And I think that also then tends to devalue or at least lead to a perception of devaluing 
the, the work and, and you know, the contribution of content authors. That's really a difficult one. I mean, I, I have had a protest that really sounded like somebody coming to a secretarial pool, you know, more or less, would you type this up for me? Because that's all that's involved, <laughs> you know, and, and unfortunately that leads to this really poor, well, I won't say really poor. I mean, it leads to possibly accurate, but not very connected content for the customer. And, and what I, how I would describe that is I call that product documentation. It describes the object. It doesn't tell you what to do with the object, which is what customer documentation is. It kind of, you know, you want to solve this problem? Here's how you do it. And that's what content developers really are aiming for. So I, it, it's a mix of all of those types of things. To go to your second question, addressing it, very tricky to, to you know, the, the, the whys can be so varied. The answers have to be varied. And it, it very much depends on the individual. Sometimes come across people and they're feeling demoralized, you know, they do feel excluded, they've kind of lost confidence. That's a tough place to break your way out of. If you're a more confident person, more secure, it's easier sure. to, to map those paths out. I, I would think the, the, one of the first things is you have to accept, and it's one of the reasons I, I struggle with all the names we have, you know, tech writing, it's what we do, but it doesn't really work. Tech communicator, I just find for lots of people is too abstract. <laughs> um, we have a term here, we call them information engineers. I prefer information developer, but either way, and the reason I like information developer is because I see that as a proactive role. And one right. of the one of the first challenges is to reevaluate is to see, am I a proactive member of the team? Or am I just this side service that the team look at as a side service? And that's the very first question to answer, whether you're an individual writer, whether you're a, a manager of a writing team or leading a managerial department. How do we eat, how do we place ourselves? Never mind how other people perceive ourselves. How do we place ourselves? Because if you don't do that internal kind of self-identification, then you're not going to act. And if you just leave it for other people to change their perception the way before you start responding, then you're not being proactive. So that proactivity is really important. And I think for that, you have to kind of build that internal confidence that says, I know what I mean to the customers. Um, right. Reinterpret your job away from, I write the instructions about the product to, I help customers who yeah. have, have got problems. This exact point, like what you're saying, like the understanding of like my work, how it impacts the customers. And this is my experience. I want to get your take on this. So I think engineering teams who are actually thinking of like, yes, I built this awesome product or app, but the people or engineering teams who are more focused on, yes, this will be used by customer. And yes, they will be able to use it like seamlessly with great experience are the one who are more actually caring about documentation and stuff because they want to make sure that it goes in their hand. They want to make yep. sure that everything else is also packaged with it. So they almost take ownership mm -hmm. of like, make sure the package includes everything in app, yeah. whatever along with that. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Is that a real, what do you think? It's like, a, is that the correct impression I have? If you're lucky enough to work with an R&D team that <laughs> thinks like that, <laughs> and they exist, yeah. let's let's be fair, yeah. then excellent. Because those guys understand that 
technology is not equal to product. Yeah. And, you know, the, the road to here is littered with companies. Steve Jobs mentioned Xerox, just didn't know what they had because yeah. they did not understand, you know, you got all this tech and how to actually sell it. I think Digital Equipment Corporation, but probably also my brother worked from a long time back. They had some incredible innovation, but failed to compete at the commercial level with IBM. And a lot of that commercial competition is about the way you connect with customers. So right. unfortunately, not everybody is lucky enough to work with those teams. And there are still guys who think my awesome code is my awesome code without kind of getting into the space that, well, if it sits on the server or in a cloud service and nobody clicks on it, then you know <laughs> it can be yeah. as awesome as it likes. It's not doing very much. You know, you, to get there, you have to reevaluate what is the real purpose of my job. And it's a presentation that I give to our new joiners and I've, I've given to other people. I won't take entire credit because the guy who brought me on the journey was uh, was Simon Sinek. I read The Infinite Game and there were others and yeah. some other people, Adam Grant. But it's like, what does your job do for people? And, yeah. you know, what our job does we're not entertainers. People don't pick up the user guide and start and read the legal page right. and then continue on from page one. Now, now, maybe some people do, but I think that rarely happens. What happens is they try and use the software and they either can't make sense of it or they generally make sense of it, but they can't do everything. And therefore they turn to the documentation. And, now it, and, and what you're doing if you provided really good content is you're taking them at a time of need or maybe even stress because they might be under pressure to do this, right? You're making sense of what it is they want to do and, and then you're step-by-stepping them through it. If you think of it in that those terms that you could actually be making somebody's day because their boss needs them to do X and you just <laughs> help them to do it, then you start working back from there and saying, how do I now operate both technically yeah. in the way that I structure and, and write content but also operationally the way I engage with the team and, and start to become the, the customer success advocate, just like the QA guys tend to be, you know, they're more connected to the user experience, you know, then you can start to change the dynamic. But you do need to get, well, my opinion is, if you go through those steps of saying, like, where am I really at? And then how do I proactively change to where I want to be at? Did you do this exercise of first uh, internally making people feel that what's their job is using the Simon Sinek start with the why and then going and then going into like really presenting and making sure you feel confident about what you have, present this idea, follow it up, proactively reach out to the engineering team and make sure you're involved in this process. That's kind of the whole thing. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And it actually wasn't start with why it was the infinite game was the one I read. So I, I kind of got, okay. got Simon Sinek's later book. But yeah, it, it is. I mean, you can get very easily distracted and teams can get distracted by a lot of things. Right. Um, you can get distracted by the way you've done things for a while and, and depending on how on what's your team's history. So tech writing departments offer software in cuts. I <laughs> have not yet spoken to a tech writing manager or lead who can hand on heart say they have the right ratio of tech writers to designers. And do you think like this is now I'm just taking a step forward in this, like internally as a manager, like have you been, of course, you're playing this game of defending your team also within the organization, but how, mm -hmm. how big of 
of this is like related to the strategy, the content strategy for the company. And uh, of course, you've been through, you know, uh, going up up the ladder, now being in a managerial or high leadership roles. I guess I have two questions. One is, what is content strategy in your words that will help maneuver your team? And the second is like, as a leader, how much of, say, you have now within the organization to control it or like what you've done to do it better? This is a really big question. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll, I'll try and peel away a few things. Um, mm-hmm. So what is content strategy? It's a lot of people define it lots of ways. There's a really excellent definition. I'll just see if I can paraphrase it, but it really is about getting, you know, trying to set up your all your content so that a particular user finds information that they need at the time that they need it. And they do that easily. There's so much lying underneath that. And one of the ways I I would have expressed it recently, because we've had one or two discussions on this, was as a customer, and I'm going to take the the customer as an organization, but also as the people at the customer, because sometimes we forget to think about that, that it's not like, you know, we're not serving IBM or Hareto, we're serving individual humans at at that org. I should see a consistent messaging, presentation, findability, whether I am pre-sales just looking for something, whether I'm I'm pre-sales beginning to do engineering, whether I have just bought it, whether I'm on day one, whether I'm on day zero, whether I'm maintaining that system in six years time and brought through the transition to replace or to, to up issue. So I think a lot of people will say, oh, from the software point of view, yes, of course, <laughs> right? But they don't think of that yeah. in terms of the messaging point of view. And if you look at all of, of the people who are involved in that, you typically have marketing, you have sales, you've got sales engineering. Then finally, you got us who, who are doing the install and admin docs and the administration, et cetera, et cetera. You got services who do knowledge articles and release notes or uh, update notes, et cetera. And are they all talking to each other? If they are, and they got some agreements, and they got some rules, and they have some concept that the customer experience of the users at the customer experience is consistent right through, then you have a content strategy. I suspect that's rare. <laughs> I suspect that's very rare. I would love to get there, but I, you know, it's it's a massive undertaking it's a serious challenge especially in a big organization and it requires a lot of investment so you know it's it's a tough sell that's that's a hard thing to do a lot of organizations when we talk and i've spoken to a lot of leaders in the space too and uh, outside of their organization just like from cio level and stuff they always pinpoint to this like this is our content strategy so what i really never understood is like what exactly are the pinpointing to when when they say that because uh, at the end of the day what you're saying is yes our information needs to be relevant it should be up to date it should be accessible it should be on demand whenever wherever people need it and they should be able to get answers what i see is like that's the outcome of what your strategy is yes for sure but what nobody's ever able to tell clearly like that's how we do it yeah. <laughs> and that's <laughs> And, and that's interesting yeah. because that's partly because we are so siloed when we look mm-hmm. at content. And I have this, uh, the way I look at it is like, 
for organizations like there's like knowledge content, there's product content, there's learning content, and there's like Marcom content. Everybody is yep. sometimes totally different and it's so yep. hard to make it cohesive. So how, how, how you have been able to, in like your experience, be able to keep that messaging, let's say, consistent. Do you like proactively tell your team and set up with leaders in other departments? How do you go about like, are there anything that in your experience that you would like to share with the viewers? I connect with as many people as I can for that. Now, some of those relationships are are good and well established. So, for example, with our learning team, we're 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 pretty close. We talk to them all the time. That's been really helpful because now you know they are experts. They have high level of competence in video, and I don't have that in my team. So that's allowed us to start pulling through video and placing it with our written content, which is you know that it's right. a big trend for the last several years. But video tends to be expensive and it's specialist. And so it's great to be able to just pull on that pool of experts. Other conversations that we've started, but we haven't got there yet because there's investment, there's cross-functional cooperation, et cetera, is with the services team. And I think they're a natural place to start if you can start looking at how your content would deflect uh, tickets. You know, it's... Probably that's what you want your documentation to be doing anyway, so that the customer gets trapped by the things you've put effort into in the past. They get their answer and on right. they go, and they never make a call or talk to you when you're chatbots, right? <laughs> um, so case deflection uh, is is a natural one, and certainly if anybody's at the point where they're early in their their organization's formation, they should really be thinking about that too say, connect with these people. I talk to the director of the knowledge base um, that our, our service team use. Sure. And we discussed the fact that quite a large number of their knowledge articles just point to the documentation. So we're looking at how do we get that more automated? Now, when we brought our documentation portal online, which is a, you know HTML serve documentation instead of the old PDF style stuff, it starts mm -hmm. giving you more opportunity to start linking there. But there's a lot more you can do because there's technologies that allow you to get the service agents to start seeing that content as they are responding to calls. So the service agent uh, metric goes up, you know, their success and then goes up and their interaction time with the customer goes down. Uh, so I would say every organization is different, but the, there are a few people you will naturally work very closely with and training our learning team and the services team are very good avenues. Marketing, you really should be working with them. I have not built up any uh, relationships yet with our marketing team, but they're on my, they're on my target list for the next, uh, as, as the next sort of reach out. And actually a, a book that I often mention, it's, it's a little bit underemphasized, but there's a book written by the, the Splunk documentation team, Christopher Gales, called The Product is Docs. And it's way down on the list of Amazon top 100 tech writing books. It should be up near the top. Uh, and they give some quite good advice on talking to these different teams, which, you know, really, I, I thought that was quite helpful. So some, some paths to look at there. But that is part of proactivity. That's part of the proactivity you need to get into right. if you want to rise yourself above, you know, an adjunct to the services, the rest of the service in the organization. It's interesting because... Um... I mean, again, this is also something we at Toretto felt that, yes, we have a technology piece. We are offering technology to the marketplace, yes. Uh, but 
what we trying to move to the direction with our rebrand, we were Jorsec before July, 2021. Mm-hmm. Easy Data was our product and we rebranded to Hereto. And one of the philosophical change that we had was to move away from just being a tool to think of ecosystem just because tool is only one part, right? There is like a people process and tool. So we took this content ops approach and uh, we now almost basically live by that, that, you know, we can offer you the software part, but we can also offer you the expertise of how those things are done in like what tweaks you need for your process, but how the people will play that role. And I think that's like the, that's the thing that you're mentioning. It's also like the people proactively going on establishing processes and then comes technology and then everything goes, can go the way we want. To. And that cannot happen without just like, People not taking the people first. People is the most important part of this driving it yeah, proactively. 100%. And, 100%. Uh, and that's interesting. And I also want to give a shout out to, I don't know if you heard about this company called Videate. And this mm-hmm. is about yeah. uh, the, the video, generating videos. So they generate videos out of uh, uh, structured content. I, I'm familiar with them because we've spoken to them. And actually, yeah. was, I connected them with our learning team that we didn't. We didn't. We didn't. Couldn't get a working solution sure. just yet. But you know, it's there. We we know about it, and maybe at some stage. But yeah, yeah. generating working videos from your content, brilliant. Okay, brilliant. Now yeah. now you just if you can get that going, and, and it it'll work. I'm sure on cloud systems, then you've just made life way easy for the end user because. <laughs> yeah. But but with very little extra investment and and in effort of having video producers there. So, you know, yeah, there's all these technologies. Yeah, which um, is which also is, important to keep an eye on those things. Yeah. Which is which is what my next question is. What are a few of mm. the trends that you are most excited about in the world of content or information development? Um, before I answer that one, I just want to bring you back one bit because part of what you're talking about there is and, and the proactivity we talked about not being an adjunct, you know, if you're going to be not an adjunct to the design team, a really big thing, I think that writers, individual and also department leads or managers can do is start to see how writers can contribute to the design process. And um, if you look at a task topic, whether it's a data task topic or any other task topic, typically you could reverse engineer that to a user story. Right. And if you take your whole chapter or, you know, with its conceptual introduction and task topics, you could reverse engineer that to an epic or a theme or a feature, depending how your organization breaks it down. So one of the, one of the things I would encourage writers to really look at is if you're in an agile environment, can you get yourself into a place where you are involved in producing high quality epics and stories? Because I all the time hear designers complaining about having low quality, low quality stories and epics. And if you, yeah. if you get in there, you can solve two things. One, the guys are going to respect you and like you because they're getting good stories coming through. And two, you're going to be writing the documentation before the stuff is coded. The brilliant presentation by Jessica Parsons, I think it was, uh, from Write the Docs on documentation-driven design, but I would say don't call it that because you'll scare all the developers. Um, <laughs> yeah. But a really good, good one. And another one um, by Tanya Sweeney on glue work or being glue, I think she called it, which is 
writers in a really good position to talk to lots of people and right. often make connections. And if you have a process, like we we would do task-based analysis or we sit the designers down and we build a workflow as they spoke. And right. sometimes, you know, you identify gaps or how does this connect to this, et cetera. You can become a much more proactive person. A lot of the time, engineering companies think innovation sits with engineering. But we know that diversity has an impact in innovation. I think a lot of people just think of cultural diversity, but they should think about cross-functional diversity too. So right. sorry, I didn't get those in in the early answers. So I wanted to get them in before we go yeah. into features. No, that's really insightful, um, yeah. There are so many different things, and uh, I was I was struck. I was reading a book by Yvonne Cleary, who uh, is in charge of the technical writing, technical communication courses in University of Limerick, uh, which I'm also attending for for my own postgrad study. There was a comment in a section on on new technologies that said a lot of companies just they're not doing these things. Like it's actually rare, and I'm actually surprised sometimes when I meet other professionals and department leads are saying, well, you've implemented a documentation center. Can you talk to us about it? I'm looking at the company kind of going, how come these guys aren't five years ahead of me? You know, I thought we were behind and <laughs> they haven't even done it. There are a lot of exciting directions generated by technology, but I think we sometimes forget that there still is a huge number of companies that are small tech writing shops. They're still doing PDF. There's no way they're ever going to afford to have a yeah. you know a doc center that's HTML based, but that said, online publishing and most especially the analytics that go with it and the potential for personalization that again assists with that ability to get this unique person to what they need when they need it, and there are lots of ways that it, it might know that and achieve that based on you know, what have you read before or what have you uh, right. what have you browsed before, the conundrum of course of what documentation is getting used and what's not getting used is also slightly a dangerous one because when somebody needs a doc, it's got to be there. But if that only happens for one person every <laughs> decade, yeah, yeah, would would they be better off calling the con, you know, calling the, the contact center or going to one of your bots? I think that is a really important area. It's probably mm-hmm. to an extent one of the most important ones. And with our with our partner Zoom in, who do our um, documentation center they've they've built in some really good analytics that allows us to look at what countries what languages you know how many topics are they sticking on are they just going to one and then leaving is that a good thing is that a bad thing you know did they get the answer or did they just get bored and they've given us a lot of insights and even just wonderful things that allowed us to change the site uh, to improve the connection so people you know you got a search with no results. What was going on there? Oh, the filters turned on. You probably didn't know it. Or you got you got a search and you didn't click through. And we rerun the search. We say, oh, you got 20,000 results. Okay. So when these things happen, we need to prompt people to help them to either expand or refine to get to what they want. I think the whole area of, I don't know if I want to call it micro content, but I'll call it small content. You know, the fact that we're, I think we st- we still are very wedded to the idea of, of a book or a publication. You know, I mean, in fairness, that does go back beyond just PDF. It goes back to Gutenberg and probably to the to the yeah. Irish monks who sat there with their quill pen, pens and sheets of vellum. But, you know, being able to smash your content up into small pieces and serve it. But there are massive technical challenges there in terms of, you know, 
tagging it correctly with metadata? Is it truly reusable? Uh, I, I think one of the challenges we constantly talk about in the team is, have I made this so reusable that it's now meaningless? You know, it's that it's it's Ooh. lost context. So how do you draw together the the unique context that the person needs to succeed with the reusable text that you kind of you've already translated and you don't want to to, to have to rewrite and you want to be right. consistent? Those would be the ones I would be quite interested in, and I think they're both prerequisites then for some of the delivery technologies we're interested in, which is bot driven. Uh, yep. content and of course video as we mentioned before is becoming a really big area i think as you said uh, people like in in video are trying to address that challenge of customers like video but it's costly to yep. produce and you know it, it is time intensive yep. and it's also quite you know the maintenance challenge of video is a lot higher than it is text right um yep. You know, when I when I became a tech writer in 93, 94, people, you know, multimedia was coming out, you know, Windows 95 got launched and everybody could get on the net. And, oh, documentation is going to be dead. It'll all be video and all sorts of stuff. And yet here we are writing books. And the simple reason is, is because it's very efficient. Yep. It's highly cost effective and it's really easy to maintain. That doesn't mean we should stay there. Um, yeah, yeah. You just, you know, things like technology that can convert text to a different experience, whether that's a, a a bot, whether it's something visual, whether it's a video, you know, you need to keep your eye on that. But also bear in mind, at the bottom line, the durable skill we have is taking disparate information, organizing it, sense making it that still requires high levels of writing and information development skills. So, you know, if you, you get your bot system yep, and it's that's, got that's a must. text in it, it's it's not going to be very helpful. So right. why did you bother? You know, so again, it's that ability to focus, to look at technology and say, this is giving me a big opportunity here, but not to get so focused on the technology that you forget what you're trying to do and what the success factors are in what you're trying to do. Cool. That makes sense. So one last question, and this is not work related. This is yeah. a question that you <laughs> have to the share. Question. <laughs> Would you like to share with the world one thing that nobody in your professional circles know, but this is your chance to share. And within two minutes, what that thing would be. I, I think for, for my professional circle, I'm pretty much an open book. And apart from the really private stuff that I, I wouldn't say outside of the family, sure. uh, most most people know, uh, certainly in my circle at work, know most things about me. I think that one of the big ones would be I, I really love trees, woodlands, you know, and, and wood. I'm into doing firewood. I'm into doing crafts that are related to wood. So carving wooden spoons. I love nice. making baskets, but they're very time consuming. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anything to do with, you know, planting trees and civic culture and that kind of stuff is is one of the things that I really like to do in my time. See, off. that's see, that's refreshing to hear. You know how many time I've talked uh, to people on uh, and we ever discussed about trees. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> yeah. the first one. This is what I'm yeah. saying. This is what people need to hear. This is why this question is here. <laughs> so that's great. Thanks. Uh, again, I appreciate all the insights that you provided today. It was super helpful. And uh, I'm sure there's a ton of information people will get out of this. What if people have more questions for you? How can they get in touch with you? 
LinkedIn is the best way. It's the only social network that I'm on. I'm not on any other social network. If people really want to get in touch, go there. If they want, I'll give you my email address. They can pick that up and contact me directly by email. I don't mind. I like talking to people. I don't like WhatsApping people. So uh, I'm always <laughs> happy to get on a call with people and, and shoot the breeze about, you know, tech That's content good. or trees right. <laughs> or whatever. Um, right. Yeah. Well, thank you. This has been really insightful. I appreciate your time. And we will link uh, with this episode uh, your LinkedIn so people can reach out to you and discuss anything, including trees. And sure. uh, <laughs> thanks again for your time. And this is it for this episode. That's a wrap. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Titans of Techcom, brought to you by Hereto. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Looking forward to next time with more real stories from real people just like you.